0: Good morning, Action Church. Good morning. Can I, uh, and everybody stay standing. Can I say thank you so much for what you've done? Myriads, untold myriads of people will come up to you in heaven all throughout eternity and say thank you for drawing me closer to Jesus, for bringing me to Jesus, because of the way that your leader, your amazing leader, chose to partner and become just one unit. You know, we can do so much more together than we can do by ourselves. And that's why, can I applaud you so much for the way you've gotten behind this vision of this church locally, internationally. I know you do works in Uganda and everything else. I am so proud because I know it's been a difficult year, but boy, can I tell you, thank you so much for the way you've pressed through the situation and you've stayed on course and you realize, hey, this life's a vapor. We are just passing through and we have a big assignment. We've been given the privilege of Jesus, giving his, our creator, giving his life and then entrusting it to us. And so I wanna minister to you this morning our family is doing amazing, I, I, I've got Arden with me and I don't wanna take the time to talk about that. I need every minute I can to bring the message that God's given me this morning. I really believe that I'm bringing a prophetic message this morning. COVID has caused so many people to retract, retreat, protect, Jesus said, occupy until I come. And I wanna talk about that this morning, all right? And so Father, I do thank you this morning for glorifying Jesus. Holy Spirit, we give you all the glory the honor, and the praise. May you glorify Jesus in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. I, 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 Oviedo, South Orlando, I think Sanford, welcome. Everybody online, welcome. Hey, I'm carrying something and I've got to get it out. Um, <clears throat> in, in our Christian walk, let me say this. It's really important that we're established in two different things. Number one is our identity in Christ. All right, everybody say Identity. identity. No horse has ever had a mouse. Some think about it. No elephant has ever had a pig. God doesn't have unworthy worms. He has sons and daughters. Wow, Beloved, now are we the sons and daughters of God. The second thing that is so important that we are established in as believers is what we do in Christ. The Bible says this, that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God preordained that we should walk in, right? Now, if you look at what Jesus says, he makes two amazing statements. In John 4, 34, he says, my food, and I'm gonna ask that both these scriptures stay up, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Then in John 20, 21, he says this, as the father has sent me, so now I'm sending you. So what does that mean? That means our food, everybody say my food, is to do the will of him who sent us and to finish his work. Now, what does food do? It strengthens us. Can you imagine doing eight hours of hard labor, but you haven't eaten for 20 days? It's impossible. So as a believer that's been walking with Jesus for over 40 years now, the number one reason that causes people to backslide, and I'm telling you something, there's a lot of backsliding people in our American churches. It's not just people that leave churches. The number one thing that causes people to backslide is they disengage from what they're created to do. Amen. Now, that's not the direct thing that happens. What happens is it weakens them because when you go without food, you get weak. And then now you become vulnerable to temptation. Are you tracking with me? <clears throat> and so to open up what I wanna share with you this morning, and, and I'm sharing with you out of the newest book I've written called X, <laughs> Multiply Your Gut. Can you tell we have millennials working for us? Um Anyway, it's an interesting title. But this book I am so passionate about. And I remember, you know, when I, we were right in the middle of COVID when I finished this book, or COVID just began when I finished this book. I said, God, I'm releasing a book like this, and and this is what's going on. And God said, I always give you a book that's prophetic for the season. And boy, can I tell you, I, I so see that what I'm carrying this morning to you is not a message from a man, it is from heaven. It is something to engage you into what you're created to do because Jesus said, Occupy, amen? amen. So, let me let me tell a couple quick stories. Uh, I have a guy that he's one of our partners, he's significantly given to help us to get these books into pastors and leaders' hands all over the world. And he, um, he, he had a conversation with me, it was about seven years ago. We had just got done playing golf, and uh, we're on the way back to the hotel. He said, John. He said, can I, can I just be vulnerable for a few minutes? I said, absolutely. He said, I have busted my rear end to build my businesses to where they are. He said, my net worth's over five, $9 million. He said, you know, I just turned 50. My wife's cared for life. My children are cared for life. Why should I work as hard over the next 10 years as I have the last three decades? Now, rather than just giving him an off-the-cuff answer, <laughs> I knew that the words that I was about to speak to this man was gonna shape his next 10 years and actually the rest of his life. And so I looked inside and I said, I need help right now, Holy Spirit. And he gave me the answer. I said, well, Stan, let me answer your question with a different scenario. I said, as you know, now I've written 17 books. There are in over 100 languages. I have gotten, gotten on planes, and I have flown over 12 million miles. I have stayed in little hotel rooms, 400 square hotel rooms for as many as 229 nights in one calendar year away from my family. I have battled jet lag. I have experienced really different cultures. I have eaten some of the craziest foods. I have stood on some of the largest platforms in the world. You know what? My wife has cared for life. My children are cared for life. Why should I get on another plane, why should I write another book? And you know what he did? He laughed, do you know what he, he laughed. And he said, do you know what he said? I wouldn't wanna be in your shoes when you face Jesus. That's what he said to me. And I said, well, Stan, you just said the exact same thing. And I remember the little laugh left his face and he, we're in the downtown 405 in LA and he turns to me and goes, now he's mad at me. He goes, what are you talking about? I said, well, listen, God has given every single one of us children a calling. We are created to do something. And I said, in order to accomplish what he created us to do, he has given us supernatural gifts. And I said, we can do one of three things with these gifts. We can use them only to build ourselves, our family, our life. I said, or second, we can use them as intended to build the kingdom. Or third, we can just sit on them. And I said, the problem here is, is you've connected my dots, but you haven't connected your dots. I said, you see how my gifts build the kingdom of writing and preaching. I said, but you don't see how your gifts are building the kingdom. And I said, in fact, your gifts are more valuable than mine. He said, where do you get that? I said, the Bible says the gifts that are not seen are more valuable than the gifts that are seen. I got a seen gift. You got an unseen gift. Yours are more important. (laughs) Six months later, he calls me. I said, Stan, how you doing? He goes, you want the honest truth? I said, yeah. He said, I've been haunted every single day for the last six months in a good way by the words you spoke. I said, well, what are you doing about it? He said, I'm busting my rear end to build my business up to 35 million so I can do more to give to the kingdom. And I got a text from him three months ago, right? And you know what, how he signed it? 70 million dollars, Stan. So in the last seven years, that's what's happened as a result of those words. Are you seeing this? Another story, a friend of mine pastors a large church He has a conference every year where 2,500 delegates come in. Day before the conference, he's walking through the sanctuary, and there is a medical doctor, a really well-known medical doctor in the city, putting pamphlets on the seats for all the 2,500 delegates that are coming in. And he rushes over to this doctor. He says, Doc, you don't need to do this. No, no, no. We, We got volunteers and interns that are doing this. And the doctor rebuked my pastor friend. And you know what he said? He said, Pastor, I take one week a year off my medical practice so I can help build the kingdom of God. Please, don't take this from me. Now, I've wept over this. And you want to know why I've wept over this? Because for 51 weeks a year, this man sees himself in the secular. He's earning a living. One week a year, he gets to build. He gets to be in the sacred and build the kingdom of God. For most people that come to our churches, they see their 90 minutes at churches being in the sacred. They see their 30 minutes of quiet time as being in the sacred they see their connect groups as the sacred but the rest of the time they're in the secular earning a living so to speak i got news for you 24 hours a day 365 days a year you are in the sacred you have a calling on your life amen so to introduce this message i've got to, i've got to establish three important words can i do that before i bring the message to you all right let's go to romans chapter 12 Verse six, Paul, the apostle, makes this statement. He said, having, now look at this carefully. Having then gifts differing according to the grace. Everybody shout grace. Grace. That is given to us. Now look at the next three words, four words. Let us use them. All right, first of all, let's identify this word grace. Everybody in here, if you were saved more than two weeks, you understand what grace is, right? But so many Christians actually don't. The Greek word for grace is the Greek word charis. You can see it up there, right? All right. If you ask an American Christian what the word grace means, it's really interesting. You get an accurate answer, but you get an incomplete answer. A survey was done all across America, and over 5,000 born-again, Bible-believing Christians were surveyed, and they were asked, what is the grace of God? And this is the top three, four answers were salvation, a free unmerited gift, Forgiveness of sins and the love of God. I'm so glad that Americans understand we're saved by grace and only by grace. You can't earn it because it's a free gift. And by the grace of God, our sins are forgiven and it is God's love to us, right? I'm so glad Americans understand it. The tragedy of the survey was this. Only 2% of those over over 5,000 that were polled said that grace is God's empowerment. Yet that's exactly how God introduces grace. God said to the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, my grace is all you need for my power. God refers to his grace as his power. It works best in your weakness. What's your weakness? Your human inability. Let's look at 2 Peter chapter 1. Peter says, grace be multiplied to you as his divine power has given to you everything you need to live a godly life. So Peter refers to God's grace as his divine power, yet only 2% of American Christians understand that. That's scary. Paul refers to the grace of God. I did more than all the others, not I, but the grace of God in me. He refers to his empowerment. God refers to it as when he says, "Come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain grace in a time of need." That's not cover-up, that's not forgiveness, that's not salvation. That's saying, I will empower you beyond your natural ability to meet the need of your world. Oh man, I'm preaching myself happy. Are you still here? So what's my definition of grace? Grace is God's empowerment that gives you the ability to go beyond your natural ability. Let me tell you something about the call of God on your life. Would you like to know about the call of God in your life? Would you like to know a young man? Would you like to know? I can tell you this right now. It is impossible. It is impossible for you to fulfill what God's created you to do in your own ability. There we go. Amen. Amen. How do you know that? Because God said, I'll never share my glory with anybody. So if God makes your calling capable of being accomplished in your own ability, he'd have to share the glory with you. God said, I'm not doing that. So God on purpose makes your calling beyond your natural ability. So you'd have to depend on grace to fulfill it. Ah, Now here's the tragedy. You ready for the tragedy? You can't have anything from heaven unless you believe. You can't believe what you don't know. So if 98% of the Christians in America don't know that grace is God's supernatural empowerment, that means 98% of the Christians in America are trying to fulfill what God's created them to do in their own ability. What do you call a body that only 2% of it works? An invalid. See how important this message is? Let's look at the next word. Everybody say next word. Next word. Having gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. Now, if you look at the Greek word charis and you put an M&A on it, what do you get? Charisma. That is the Greek word for gifts. So charisma is not a magazine, okay? Charisma is actually a Greek word that talks about our gifts. Now, what is the definition of that Greek word? Now, look at this. Look carefully. It is the specific gift of grace that empowers an individual to fulfill what they've been created to do. Okay, there are many different charismas, okay? If you look at the charismas on my life, let me use me as an example. One of the charismas on my life is writing. What you don't know is that my very worst subject in high school was English creative writing and foreign language. Yeah, I'm not kidding. (laughs) It took me four hours to write a one-page paper. Okay, let me prove it to you. I got statistics, okay? Do you know what I scored on the SAT in English? 370 out of 800. Okay, let me help you understand this. In all my traveling and speaking with people, I've never met more than one individual, or two, excuse me, two, that scored lower than me on the English on the SAT. And the one guy was because he guessed at all the answers. So when God came to me in 1991 and said, son, I want you to write, I said, you got so many kids on the planet, you're getting us confused with one another. You don't want me writing. (laughs) talk to my English teachers, they will tell you. Bad choice. And he said nothing. So I took his silence as an agreement with my rebuttal. 10 months later, two women from two different states, within two weeks of each other, came up to me and said the exact same words. They said, John Bevere, if you don't write what God's giving you to write, he will give the messages to somebody else and one day you'll stand in judgment for it. Now, when the second woman said it from the state of Texas, two weeks after the first woman from Florida, the fear of God hit me. I got a notebook piece of paper. I got a Sharpie, and I put contract. I wrote a contract with God. I said, God, I think you're making a huge mistake. You have much better writers, so I need grace. And I had no idea back then that grace was God's empowerment. I signed the contract. Now, today, the books are in the tens of millions. They're in 129 languages all over the world. Do you know that Lisa and I are the most published authors in all of Vietnam, both secular and Christian? And do you know I can say that about a host of other countries? (laughs) I went to Korea Lisa and I went to Korea to do a national conference, right? They said, we want to do a press conference before the conference begins. I said, okay, great. There's going to be five Christian reporters in the press conference, right? I walk into the room. There are 32 reporters. There are five television stations and the third largest newspaper in the nation. We're not talking Christian newspaper, okay? And I'm looking at the spotlights, the cameras, and my first statement was, what are you all doing here? And they said, Well, Mr. Bevere, your book's been on the top 10 bestsellers in in our nation for the last two years every month. I'm like, oh my gosh. So do you know why my name's on that book? It's because I was the first guy to get to read it. It wasn't me that wrote it. It was the gift, the charisma of God on my life. Are you there? You know, know, the first time I preached (laughs) after we got married, my wife and I, she's on the front row, right? And I start my message, five minutes into my message, she's sound asleep not kidding no I'm not kidding she slept her head kept doing this the whole message her best friend next to her had drool coming out of the side of her mouth I'm not joking I'm watching the drool come out she's in such deep sleep while I'm preaching right so now I preach to 5,000 people 10,000 people 25,000 people, people say you get nervous no not at all they say that's arrogant no it's not I know how bad I am I put my wife my own wife to sleep I know what I can do, and I know what the charisma of God in my life can do. And those are two totally different things. Can you say amen? Amen. Amen, amen, amen. I'm preaching better than you saying amen right now. Now, one of the gifts on my life is not singing. If I was on this platform during worship, you would have run out of the building with your ears covered. That's what my family do. They, they scream at me. When I sing at home, they say, please, 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 please. Lisa gets a little more violent. She may throw something and go sing in a room where we can't hear you. It's just not one of my gifts. Are you seeing this? So now, <laughs> now that we've established that, let's, let's move on, okay? Now, let's go to the third word. Everybody say third word. Third word. All right, you're gonna find it 1 Corinthians 4.1. Now, I am moving fast because I'm only laying a foundation. The message hadn't begun yet. All right, so 1 Corinthians 4.1, let a man so consider us the servants of Christ and stewards. Everybody shout, Stewards. stewards. Everybody say, I'm a steward. What is a steward? Simple definition of a steward. Someone who manages what belongs to somebody else. That's, that's the definition of a steward. Now, one of the definitions says that a steward is not micromanaged. Let me give you an example of a steward. I got this guy in California that does my 401k, right? I do not call this guy every day saying, what did you invest in today? What did you change? Are you kidding? He has to run me down because he's required by law to talk to me once a year. He has to chase me down. And I'm a. It's a pain. it's a pain for him to find me. Okay, because I really don't want to talk to him. He knows what he's doing. A steward is not micromanaged. The best example of a steward in the Bible is Joseph. He starts out as a slave in Potiphar's house. He ends up steward of his own household. And the Bible says Potiphar doesn't even know what's going on in his household, except for the food that's at his table. He has committed everything he owns to the authority of Joseph. Are you seeing this? Survey, yes. so say, I'm a, steward. I'm a steward. Say it again. Now, what are we stewards of? I'm going to show you 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 4. Peter's going to bring all three of these words together. Ready? And then our introduction will be over. Okay. Are you still with me? 1 Peter 4, verse 10. As each one, notice it doesn't say as each minister. Notice it doesn't say as each fivefold minister. If you're born again, you have a gift or gifts. And what are those gifts or gifts? They are God's ability on your life. They're not your ability. They're God's ability on your life that gives you the ability to build this kingdom or to use it just for yourself or to sit on and do nothing. As each one has received a gift or gift, minister it, not sit on it, minister it one to another as good stewards. Everybody say, I'm a steward. steward. What are we stewards of? Charisma. Put it all together and what do you get? The manifold, which means many, many different sided, aspect of grace, okay? Manifold means so many different gifts. So if you look at the human body, Paul uses it, I'm gonna do it. If you look at my body, my body's got many different members and each of those members can do very unique things. In other words, my fingers can do things, my eyes can't do, my eyes can do things, my toes can't do, my toes can do things, my stomach can't do, my stomach can do things, my liver can't do, my liver can do things that this particular cell can't do. Happy is the man or woman who knows their gift and operates in it. Miserable is the man or woman who tries to operate in somebody else's gift. Wouldn't it be really weird today if when I woke up my thumb said, hey, hey, mouth! you've been talking for 35 years, I'm preaching to Action Church this morning. (laughs) Now what am I doing right now? I am frustrating you and my thumb's getting frustrated. This is what happens when you try to operate in somebody else's gift. You frustrate you and everybody around you. That's what I do when I sing, <laughs> amen? Now, look at this, we, we, a lot of people, they think, now I'm, 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 I'm gonna bash a little thought here, can I bash a thought? Yeah. You know what a lot of people think? They think if I'm godly, if I'm Christ-like, I forgive people, I'm kind to people, the gift of God will automatically work in my life. No, 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 a hundred times no. I don't care how kind godly you are, that does not automatically engage your gift. One of the most godly men in the whole New Testament is a guy named Timothy. Paul wrote to the entire Philippian church. He said, I've never found anybody more Christ-like than Timothy. Yet Paul has to write two letters to him and say, Timothy, your God-given gift is inoperative. Engage it. So if living godly engages the gift, then Timothy would have engaged the maximum potential. You have to engage it. And you do it by faith, and that's why I'm preaching to you this morning. Very good, very good. Are you with me? I said, Are you with me? All right, now we can begin the message. Good morning, Action Church. Great to be here. All right. So, now that we all know the same thing. All right. Okay, let's go back to First Corinthians chapter four, verse one. And I am way, way, I must have hit the little button to make it. Anyway, forget it. Uh, Arden's helping me. All right. Let a man so consider us the servants of Christ and stewards. Everybody shout, I'm a steward. <laughs> Okay, what are you a steward of? Charisma. It's not your ability, it's God's. Okay, now, whoa, 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 everybody's always like, well, these gifts work inside the church. No, probably 99% of them work outside the church. Where do you see in any list in the Bible the ability to paint the portrait of Jesus when you're eight years old like Akiana did? And that portrait, by the way, is worth over a million dollars. Where do you see anywhere in the Bible the gift of being able to remove a tumor for somebody? If I remove a tumor from you, you die. Okay, if, a, if somebody who's gifted removes the tumor, you live. <laughs> okay, it's a gift. Are you with me? Yes. Okay, so let's not limit these gifts to only operating inside the church, although they do. They're mostly given for outside. If you look at Jesus, he said, let your light shine that men may see your good works that they're wrought in God. I'm convinced one of the ways that the world is gonna come to Jesus when they see us operating above natural ability in our arenas, in, in the education, in healthcare. Like, like the ER nurse, she should be coming up with ideas of saving lives that nobody ever thought of. And all the doctors are scratching their heads going, we were trained far more than her, yet she's coming up with ideas we've never heard of. How does she do it? Charisma. Third grade school teacher is communicating wisdom and knowledge to her public students. The other teachers are going, whoa, where's she getting these ideas from? Charisma. See, my Bible says we're the head, not the tail. I'm from Colorado. I have never once met an elk where the tail led it. Yet, how often does the church follow the way the world goes? In creativity, in innovation. Why? Because 98% of us don't have the gift of God operating in our life. You're a little passionate, Bevere. Yes, I am. You should see me on a golf course, okay? So, (laughs) I'm joking. I am because this is so important. We got a world going to hell out there and they're not seeing the good works that are in our life. Let, listen, Jesus' words, let your light shine. The men may see your good works, not hear your good scriptures. Daniel distinguished himself. He distinguished himself among the governors, the the government leaders of Babylon because he had an extraordinary spirit. He was 10 times smarter, wiser, more innovative and creative than the best leaders in Babylon. And the king of Babylon said it himself. Why, why? Do you know that Charlie Chaplin, a producer in Hollywood used to sneak into Amy Simon McPherson's Sunday night illustrated sermons to get ideas for Hollywood? Because she was the head, not the tail. Wow. Is Steven Spielberg s- sneaking into our church to get ideas? Why? Do you think he's more creative than the Creator? That yeah, we have the Creator living in us. <laughs> Preaching myself strong here, okay. All right. Moral, let a man so consider us the servants of Christ and stewards. Everybody say, I'm a steward, I'm a steward. of what? charisma Charisma. now watch this moreover it is required in stewards that one be found faithful the one requirement of a steward is that you're faithful now i've asked leadership teams for 10 years give me a definition of faithful the overwhelming responses i will put up on the board because i can't take the time to ask you this morning but these are the top responses steadfast consistent dependable reliable loyal true think about it what do you think of when you think of the word faithful Trustworthy, devoted, truthful. And if you go to the thesaurus, they're 100% correct. Except, except, here's the tragedy. They have, never have I once, in 10 years, never heard anybody on a leadership give me team give me the most, I would consider the most important definition of faithful. And that definition is multiplication. I say multiplication is not a definition of faithful. Go read it in the dictionary. Well, I'm sorry, it's not there. And it should be there because Noah Webster was a Jesus follower. He should have put it there because Jesus defined faithful as multiplication and Noah should have learned from Jesus. Jesus talked about it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where? Parable of the talents. Okay. You all know this parable. If you've been saved over three months, let's read it. Okay. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants. We're not talking about outsiders. We're not talking about salvation here. We're talking about our work. Okay, his own service. And watch what he did. He delivered his goods to them. I'm making you a steward of what's mine. So one servant got the ability to paint. One servant got the ability to preach. One servant got the ability to, you know, build businesses. Let's, Let's keep going. He delivered his goods to them. He went on this long journey. Now, what are the goods that he gave them? It's called talents. Now, what is a talent? A talent is simply a big bag of silver. It's about 75 pounds of silver. Okay, how many of you know that in parables, Jesus is never talking about what he's talking about? Wheat is people, tares are evil people, right? On, on. He's not talking about bags of silver. He's talking about, what are we stewards of? Charisma. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm preaching myself happy, you and me, okay? <laughs> all right, all right. So I'm gonna personalize this. I'm gonna name the people. So to Ashley, he gives five bags of silver, or let's say it correctly, He gave her five charismas. Dave got two charismas. And if your name's Larry, no no intention here of identification, Larry gets one. Now, what happens? The guy goes on a long trip and what does he say before he leaves? Occupy, do business until I come back. Use what I've given you and do business until I come back. Don't hide for COVID, okay? He said, no, you're doing business. That's why I love this pastor. Nothing's stopping this guy. He's just like determined, I will win this city because this is what Jesus called me to do. Thank God you got a leader like that, right? Okay, so now, what do Ashley and Dave do? They obey the master. They multiply. Ashley turns her five into 10. Larry turns his two into four. Now Larry, lock down Larry. Okay. He maintains. He doesn't lose. He maintains his one, okay? Okay. After a long time, the master comes back. Jesus said long twice in this parable. And he says, now it's judgment time, guys. What does judgment mean? He says, I'm going to examine what you did with what belonged to me, okay? So Ashley and Dave come forward to say, hey, look, we multiplied what you entrusted to us. You know what the master says? Look at this, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, if that's all he says, we cannot define faithful as multiplication. But look at the next three words. You were faithful. There is no other action or or virtue ascribed to these two guys in this parable other than the fact that they merely multiplied. I'm telling you, go read it. Jesus doesn't say they were steadfast, they were dependable, they showed up at service on time. Uh Uh-uh. They multiplied. You were faithful. Jesus directly equates faithful with multiplication. See, when you hear the word faithful, you should hear multiply. You shouldn't just hear steadfast. You should hear multiply. You were faithful over a few things, I'll make you ruler over many, enter into the joy of the Lord. Now, here we go. Here comes Larry, all right? Larry comes up and he's got excuses. He says, then Larry, who had received the one talent, said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man. Problem number one, he doesn't know the character of his father. That's a big reason for people not multiplying. Number two, and here's the biggest reason, I was afraid. Fear, intimidation, timidity will literally cause the gift of God in you to go dormant. That's what happened with Timothy, okay? And I went and I hid your talent in the ground because I want to make sure I protect it, right? But his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant. Now notice he doesn't say wicked and lazy outsider. This guy's saved, he's in the kingdom. Now how many of you know Jesus doesn't use words carelessly like we do? So I got to have some understanding. Wicked, let's start with lazy, that's easier. All right, lazy means shrinking from or hesitating to engage in something worthwhile. Wicked, possessing a serious fault. What's the serious fault he possessed? He saw his Lord as as a hard man. Number two, he was afraid. That's the two serious faults. Possessing a serious fault and consequently being worthless in regard to our labor. So what does this parable tell us? God views those who multiply as faithful. He views those who maintain As wicked and lazy. Does that change your paradigm on the way you look at faithful? Oh, well, I'm faithful. I show up at service on time and I make a little more money than my parents. And, uh, well, why don't you look at it through this parable? I'm not gonna say you're wicked and lazy, but if the shoe fits, where's it? Wear it, right? Boy, it's quiet in this Methodist church right now. (laughs) All right, now it gets worse. It gets worse. (laughs) Next verse. So take the talent from Larry and give it to Ashley who has 10 talents. Um, I did the math for you so you can see. (laughs) Larry starts out with one, ends up with zero, zip zero, right? Ashley starts out with five and ends up with 11. Now I'm in prayer five years ago and I hear the Holy Spirit say this to me so clearly. He said, son, I am actually the way I think is more in line with capitalism than it is socialism. Now listen, listen. (laughs) don't you dare walk out of here and say, John Bevere says God's a capitalist. I never said that. God said, my thoughts are not your thoughts. And what the Holy Spirit said to me is the the way I think is more in line with capitalism than it is socialism. In other words, capitalism lines up with the way he thinks more than socialism. I said, God, I'm never saying that from the pulpit, especially in election year, and it was election year five years ago. I said, I'm not saying that. There ain't no way I'm saying that. No, no, unless you give me scripture. And he said, read the parable of the talents. And I got to this scripture, take the one from Larry and give it to Ashley and the Holy Spirit said, stop. I'm gonna show you what the hypothetical socialistic God would have done. He would have given them all three, not Ashley five, Dave two and Larry one. He would have given them all three and then Ashley and Dave would have been faithful. So what does faithful mean? They would have multiplied. They would have ended up with six. Larry would have maintained, he would have maintained his three. Then the hypothetical socialistic God would have taken one from Ashley, one from Dave, given it to Larry. So they all ended up with five. No, Ashley ends up with 11, Larry ends up with zero. Listen to me, listen, whoa, 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 before you clap, God never tells us to take care of the lazy. He said, you take care of the poor and the needy and there is a huge difference. (laughs) Hold on, hold on, hold on. He does say something about lazy. He said, they're not even supposed to eat. Don't feed them. Yep. Now, I'm not talking about the unsaved. We're talking about saved. They don't eat, don't feed them. I mean, they don't, excuse me, they don't work, don't feed them. Good preaching, John, amen, thank you so much. Don't get mad at me, I'm only the delivery boy. I didn't say this, the words are in red. Jesus is the one, you can talk to him about it, but don't you get upset with me. Okay, it gets worse. Look at the next statement. Look at the next statement. For everyone who multiplies, more will be given and they will have an abundance but from him who maintains even what he has will be taken away. What's God's first commandment to mankind? Be fruitful and multiply. Put puts them on the earth and says, be fruitful. He wasn't saying just have babies. We're not all women, guys, okay? He's, you know what he's saying? He's saying anything I give to you, return it back to me, multiply. Very good. Very good. Yes. All right, I'm gonna tell you a story and we're gonna pray, okay? Mike Rogers, good friend of mine. I called Mike three times to make sure I have his story straight. Mike got saved when he was 11 years old. He's about my age. He got saved when he was 11, And and this is his exact words. He said, when I was 35, so 24 years after he got saved, he said, when I was 35, I got fed up with being a fruitless Christian. That's his exact words. I said, what'd you do about it? He said, the first thing I did is I memorized 2,000 scriptures in six months. Smart guy. He sharpened the ax. Remember, the wisdom of God sharpens the ax so you can cut more trees down with the same effort. I said, good. He said, now, in that six months, John, I actually went to Pastor Tommy Barnett's pastor school. There's 5,000 people to go to that conference and.'" He said, I was so broke, I had to live in a two-bedroom apartment with 11 Bible school students, okay? And he said, in the conference, Tom, Pastor Tommy said, I want you to find out what God wants you to give you in the, in the offering, the big offering, just like what you're doing right now, okay? So he said, I go find a cactus, and I said, God, how much do you want me to give? And he said, the Holy Spirit said so clearly, I heard it so clearly, Mike, I want you to give $200. And he said, I, you know what I said to God? God, that is every penny to my name. And you know what the Lord said back to him? Mike, I'm not asking you for any more. Some of you will get that in a few hours. Um, <laughs> so he said, John, I, I gave every penny to my name in that offering. he said, I had to bum money to just to get home, to get gas money. He said, God started giving me ideas. This is the way harvest always come, divine inspired ideas. That's a whole chapter in the book. He said, God started giving me ideas. He said, I started implementing them. It's not lazy. And he said, man, things started happening. He said, I felt impressed to give $100 above my tithe that year, so I did it. The next year, I felt impressed to give $400 above my tithe. The next year, it was $1,000. The next year, it was $2,500. Next year, it was $3,500. Next year, it was $5,000 above his tithe every month. Next year, it went to $10,000. He said, then it really kicked in. I said, bro, it's already kicked in in my book. (laughs) He said, then it went to $17,000. Then it went to $35,000. Excuse me, $25,000. Then it went to $35,000. Then it went to $50,000. Then it went to $100,000. Then it went to 150000 every single month above his tithe. I remember I just ga- I- I gasped, and I said, Mike, how much do you live on? <laughs> and he said, you know, it's interesting. My accountants have done my books for years. They just recently told me that over the past several years, I live on 10 to 15% of my income every year. And you should see how good he lives on that 10 to 15%. And you know what his response is to that? You always get wet when you're in the river. So he gives 85 to 90% of his income to the kingdom. Not only that, now he is asked by pastors all over the United States to come teach their people about giving. So he's multiplying that way. See, God wants us to multiply with whatever he's put into your hands, whatever he's entrusted to you. You say, John, you've just put so much pressure on me. No, you missed the entire message. I didn't put pressure on you. I just told you to believe. The disciples got so flustered, they said, Jesus, what do we do to do the works of God? He said, believe. Go read it in the Gospel of John. He said, believe. I'm putting pressure on you this morning to believe bigger, and out of that belief will come corresponding actions that will multiply. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, in Jesus' name, I'm so grateful for what you've given to us this morning. Now, Lord, I'm asking you, draw men and women to the heart of Jesus. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, you'll never be able to multiply as I've shared with you this morning, unless you first have an authentic relationship with your creator. Please listen. These are the most important words I'm speaking right now. There are people that think that all I have to do is attend church and pray a formula center's prayer and that's gonna make me saved. Uh Uh-uh, never, never, never. The Bible said a man leaves his father and mother is joined to his wife, the two shall become one. But this is an illustration of the way the church and Jesus are one. God gave us an illustration that we see every day of a man and a wife being joined together as one. That's how we enter into a covenant relationship with him. When a woman walks down an aisle in a church in a wedding ceremony, she's actually saying something pretty profound. She's saying goodbye to about 3.9 billion guys. She's not walking down that aisle going, well, I'm gonna sleep with Aaron probably every other month. And then James, I'm gonna sleep with him every other month and I'll do some dates with Ted and and Tim. No, she has said goodbye to every man on the face of the earth, except for that one guy. When Jesus, who is called the groom all throughout scripture, when he comes to this earth, he gives his entire life for you because he loves you that much. Now in turn, he's saying, I'm gonna have a bride that does the same. That's why he said, the only way you can follow me is to deny yourself, take up your cross. The only way you can enter into a relationship. It's not praying a sinner's prayer, okay? It's not. Say, I'm a good person. Well, the Bible says nobody can be good enough to have a relationship with God. Well, I go to church. Well, you know, sinners go to church. Well, I believe in Jesus. Well, the demons believe they even tremble. It's giving him your entire life. Some of you sitting here this morning, you realize you've only given him maybe 80% or 90% of your heart. If you think you're saved, you're not. Just like that girl's not gonna get married to a guy thinking she's gonna jump in old boyfriends just one or two nights a year. I wanna help you this morning. If you want an authentic relationship with your creator, say, John, I want it right now because he's waiting on you. He's got his arms open to you right now. If you say, John, I want that authentic relationship, put up your hand all over this place right now. Oh, I see that hand. That's so beautiful how fast your hand went up. Man, hands are going up all over. Tears, hands, I love it. It's beautiful. Put them up high. Do you Have you ever seen a bride that's ashamed of her groom? Hands going up all over. Guys, I hope you can count all these hands. I hope you can spot all these hands. Put them up high because there are people that are gonna give you something. If you're a believer in here and you'd say, you know what, I'm, 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 not, I'm not multiplying, I'm maintaining. And I wanna multiply. Put your hand up, I wanna pray for you. Put them up high, really high. All right, can we all pray? Ovita, South Orlando, Sanford, everybody online. Can we pray out loud together? You can put your hands down let's pray together. Out loud, say this with me. God in heaven, thank you so much for sending Jesus, forgive me for living life my way. Come on, say it out loud, apart from you, my creator. But today, that's all changing. On this day, I give my spirit, soul, and body, everything I am, everything I have, to you, Jesus. You are now my Lord, my King. You have my entire being, and you're my bridegroom. I'm yours forever. And now, Father, I come boldly to your throne. Give me the grace to multiply and change my world of influence. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let's give him praise for what he's done.